I want to speak to you from the topic in the book of Proverbs of humility is greater than pride. If you're taking notes today, you could just write this in your notes. Humility is greater than pride. And if you got a Bible, go to Proverbs 16, verse 18. Yes. One version says, pride comes before a fall. One, one version says, first pride and then a crash. But the translation I want to give to you today says, pride goes before destruction and haughty spirit before a fall. Now, he's not talking about a hottie like someone that you're attracted to, like a hottie. Get your mind out of the gutter. He's saying hottie like arrogant, like arrogant eyes, arrogant, a, a, a spirit of arrogance, a prideful person, a person who possesses a arrogant spirit is headed towards a fall. That's what he says. Now, in, in the book of Proverbs, it talks a lot about pride, and our world has some pride problems. And since the beginning, when you look in Genesis chapter 1, what led to the very first sin in the world started with pride. Pride says, I know what's best for me, not you. And what I feel is most important. And what I want is what I should get. And if I don't get it, I'm going to throw a fit. Pride is obsessed with self. Pride is self-focused, self-reliant, self-dependent, self-centered, self-righteous, self-preserving, it's a whole lot of self-selfies. Speaking of selfies, did you know in a year, 34 billion selfies are uploaded to social media? 34 billion, I didn't say million, billion selfies. A selfie is when you take the phone and you focus on you. And you take those angles from this angle, from that angle, 34 billion pictures. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking a selfie. I've taken selfies. But we have an obsession with self. And here's the problem. Selfies are actually killing people, legit killing people. People are trying to take selfies on literally dangerous places off the side of the cliff. People are falling off cliffs trying to take the perfect selfie. People are falling off high buildings. I was in the Grand Canyon a couple years ago, and they said, please don't take selfies near the edge. Last week, four tourists fell off trying to take the perfect selfie. And people are, are, are dying, trying to take selfies in front of rivers with rapids, and they're falling into the water currents. People are trying to take the perfect selfie or TikTok video in the street, and they're getting hit by cars. Between 2011 and 2023, 560 people have died from selfies. To put that in perspective, 10 people die a year from shark attacks. It's more likely to have death by selfie than death by sharky. <laughs> Proverbs 8, verse 13 says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. And then God says this, I hate pride. Now, God doesn't hate people. He loves people. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us in our worst day, in our worst sin. But he doesn't love sin. He loves people. If I was, as a parent, if I was to celebrate bad behavior, like if one of my kids, if Benny walked over to Liam and punched him in the face... And I said, yay, great job, do it again. You'd be like, no, what are you, why are you celebrating violence in your family? And what if, I, what if Liam walks over, and he would never do this, but what if Liam punched his little sister Ellie? And I said, yes, I love violence. We're going to have a whole month, and we're going to call it violence. We're going to celebrate it. We'll even make a flag called violence flag.
And what if I forced you to love my flag and celebrate what I celebrate? You would go, hold up, hold up, hold up. Does, does God love violence? Like, let's look at scripture. Like, is God, like, obs- like, celebrating violence? And in the Bible, it says God hates pride. And we're in this conundrum in our society where the world is saying we should love pride. But God says, hold on, hold on. Pride is connected to destruction. Pride and arrogance and evil behavior and perverse speech. God says, I'm not for that. I love people, but I don't love it when they begin to hurt each other. A, a prideful husband over a, uh, over a wife can turn into a dictatorship. It can turn into abuse. A prideful wife over a husband, it can turn into abuse. Anytime pride is exalted, get ready for a fall. You go, well, hold on. I don't like that. Well, it's in the Bible. So email the Bible. If you have a problem with this message, just say, hey, I'd like to talk to the guy who wrote the Bible. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says, when pride enters the scene, disgrace is not far from behind it. But with humility comes wisdom. So right off the bat, if we were to put like David versus Goliath or humility versus pride, and we would go, I wonder who's going to win. The Bible says humility wins hands down. Humility will beat pride every single time there's a matchup. Now, pride might talk a big talk, pride can get loud, pride can get strong, pride can become very dominant, but in the end, humility wins. You go, well, how do I know that? The Bible shows us that. We can see it throughout history. When people rose to fame and they got too big for their britches and their head got big and they got so into into themselves, obsessed with themselves, it was not soon after that they lost what they had, how the mighty fall. Now, there's a tendency to hear this message and to immediately go, wow, I know someone who really needs to hear this. I'm going to send them the YouTube link. I'm going to make sure. In fact, I'm really glad my spouse is in the room to hear this message. I'm really glad so-and-so. You're like, man, there is someone who really needs I'm sending them the podcast link. But to help all of us, I made a list to check our own egos. And this list is a list for us to personally investigate. I wonder if I have some pride that I don't see. The Bible says the church must deal within itself before it points a finger outside the walls. We have to deal with ourselves. Somebody say, start with yourself. Check your ego. Turn to the person next to you and say, bro or sister, (laughs) check yourself. How do you know? How do I know? Some of y'all enjoyed that a little too much. You're like, that's exactly what I wanted to say on the way to church today. How do I know if I need to get over myself? And this is a message, y'all, listen, I am preaching to myself. As much as I am sharing this message with you, I need this message. I need to grow in humility. How many of y'all would say you, you might need some help to grow in humility? All right. How do I know? How do you know if you've got some pride? Number one, you have a tendency to take everything personally. Now, maybe you're saying to yourself, no, I don't. How dare you, Pastor Paul? I do not take things personally. Why are you coming at me like that? Easy, man, easy. When people ask you questions, do you immediately feel attacked? Why are you asking me those questions? What, 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 what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Why did you say this that way? You need an explanation for the question before you answer it because you already have your defenses up. You are ready to fight. You got the gloves on. 
The first time they start asking questions, you're like, how dare you? How dare you? Just, just defensive, defensive. When you see people talking or whispering or laughing and you walk over, you immediately think they're talking about me. They are talking about me. And I am going to fight them. for. I am going to tell them. They are gossiping about me. Just personal, personal. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't take it personal. No offense. But your hair looks... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there was a book that came out a couple years ago called Unoffendable. Unoffendable. In the book, it talks about how Jesus was impossible to offend. He never felt like he had to correct everything he was accused of. People would say, aren't you going to defend yourself? He was comfortable with being misunderstood. He never tried to prove himself to everybody. There were people who were committed to misunderstanding Jesus, and he never tried to persuade them. He was comfortable with people who disagreed with him. He had nothing to prove because he knew who he was, and he was not offended by people who hated him. Being easily offended at people is rooted in pride. People who have pride are easily triggered by anything and everything. I am so upset at you. I am offended at you. Why didn't you do this? Because pride is full of entitlement. Pride says, you owe me. You owe me better. You should have treated me better. You didn't listen enough. You didn't do what I said. And pride is constantly demanding more. Pride is constantly giving yourself an excuse to be upset at somebody. I'm angry at somebody. It's personal. They, they offended me. But humble people don't take things so personal. Humble people. Humility doesn't take things so personal. Number two, how do I know if I've got pride in my life? Your feelings, my feelings are the most reasonable. Your feelings make the most sense. It's not enough to just feel like you're right. You need to know that they know you are right and they are wrong and their feelings are not the most reasonable. You need to know that they completely agree that you are 100% accurate in what you feel and that they are convinced that you are right and they are wrong. There's an intolerance for disagreement. So pride has a problem with people disagreeing with it. Pride goes, oh, you, you disagree with me? I'm going to convince you. I am going to argue with you until you see my point. There was a king in the Old Testament named King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was obsessed with himself. And he got very prideful. And one day, because of his pride, he took the glory for himself. And he lost his mind, and his hair grew out really long, his nails grew long, and he, he almost turned into like a llama, and he started eating in the forest. True story. It's the script of Emperor's New Groove. If you ever saw the cartoon Emperor's New Groove, it's based off of King Nebuchadnezzar. His pride, he was like, don't throw off my groove. And then he literally lost his mind. For months, he lived in the forest until he humbled himself. And he got his mind back. And once he humbled himself, he was restored to his position of leadership. All right, well, that same king, he set up a golden image. He said, if you don't bow down to this golden image that is all about me, then you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Well, there were some guys who just disagreed. They loved the king. They just disagreed with him. Let me ask you this question. Is it possible to love someone and disagree with them? I love my kids. But do I agree with when they hurt each other? No, 
I'm not agreeing with that behavior, but I still love them. It's possible to love someone and disagree with their behavior. We're taught in our society today, just like Nebuchadnezzar, if you don't agree with everything I feel, then you hate me. So Nebuchadnezzar throws them in the furnace. And I want to throw, show you a picture of how these guys would not bow to the golden image. Throw it up. All right, so here they are. They're standing. And if you could see in that picture, everyone else is bowing down. And for some reason, this picture just feels too familiar with what's going on right now. So I want to just change the picture and kind of show you what we're seeing right now. That if you don't bow down, you don't love. I can love you even if I disagree. You can love me. You could say, Paul, but we're being told if you don't carry this flag, if you don't worship this flag, you're canceled. If you don't hang this flag up, you're done. Y'all, I'm just telling you right now, the Bible is clear. I can't justify my sin. My sin needs a savior just like everyone else's sin. But I'm not gonna bow down just so I don't get canceled. We're living in a time where pride is being so exalted that if you don't stand with it, we're done with you. And listen, there are a dime a dozen churches that are falling for the flag right now. If you want that church, you can, you can leave. We're going to stand with the word of God, even if I got 10 people in this church. We're going to stand on the word of God because I need Jesus. You need Jesus. We all need a savior. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are not going to call evil good and good evil. We are going to stand on the moral compass of God's word. And I love everybody. I love everybody. Now, here's, here's what I'm saying. It's possible to love people and disagree with them. You don't have to hate someone that you disagree with. I love my friends. I, they love me. Man, I've missed it at times. And my wife loves me, but she doesn't agree with when I miss it. And neither should you with, with your family members. When a family member misses it, love them, pick them up, but don't congratulate them for missing it. Don't say, hey, it's awesome. I love it when you make these decisions. No, no, no. Say, hey, those decisions hurt me, but I still love you. That's what God's saying. He's saying, it hurts when you sin, Paul. I'm not saying I hate you. It's just I'm saying that sin hurts God's heart. And God says, I still love you even when you miss it. We've got to understand that love does not equal agreement and disagreement does not equal hate. But pride says, if you don't agree with me, I'm done with you. My feelings are the most reasonable. Now, I need to switch for a moment because it's getting intense right now. I'm going to come back to the intensity, but I like to just switch it up a little bit. There was a survey recently done by a group of people who were on a dating website, single guys and girls who were looking to get together. And one of the questions on the survey for guys and girls was, do you think you're a genius? 3,000 people took this survey. Two-fifths of the men answered yes. More men answered yes than women by far. I mean, listen, if you're going to ask me, like, yes, I am a genius, you know? Like, guys, we just kind of think we are because if we think it, we must be it. The reality is that one out of 1,000 people truly are a genius. But the article was poking fun saying two out of five men think they are one in a thousand. We overestimate ourselves. This is pride. We overestimate how awesome we are, how smart we are, how stunning we are, 
how incredibly, you know, great we are. And Proverbs says, once we get that big head, we're headed towards a big fall. Proverbs 13 verse 10 says, by pride comes nothing but quarrels and strife. Pride invites more fights in the house. Pride is convinced I'm right, you're wrong, and you're going to admit that I'm right and you're wrong, and you're going to be convinced of it. But humility leads towards wisdom. Those who take advice walk in wisdom. Those who admit I need help, I don't know it all, and I'm not sure that my feelings are always accurate. Right now, if a nine-year-old in Washington walks into a tattoo parlor and says, I'd like a tattoo, the tattoo artist says, no, you're not old enough. You've got to go back and get your parents. But if that nine-year-old walks into their classroom and says, I'd like to identify as a different gender than I am, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, parents aren't allowed to, to answer that. We're going to follow your feelings because as a nine-year-old, you know what's best for you. No, you don't. We're living in a society that has celebrated a self-centered, feeling-worship-based theology, and it's so anti-Christ. To follow Jesus means I lay down my feelings. I lay down my rights. I invite his counsel into my life. I need God. I don't know always what's best for me. I need wisdom from counselors, advisors. I need fathers in my life. And really, that is the problem. That's why Father's Day is so important coming up this month. And it might be a painful day for some of you. Don't miss it. We're going to have a power. We are going to have a revival on Father's Day weekend at Victory. We're living in a society where fathers have walked away and not held the ground. We need more dads rising up. We need more men who are taking that stand and saying, I'm going to be here. I may not be perfect, but I'm going to show up. I may not be the smartest, but I'm going to be here. Listen, kids aren't impressed with our wits and our knowledge and our education. What moves their hearts the most is our presence, just being there, just our love, our discipleship. So pride. All right, let's go, go, back, go back to pride. Number three, your desires are the most important. How do you know if you got some pride? Your desires are the most important. It's what you want. If you're on a road trip this summer, who's going to pick the music in the van? Who's picking the road trip playlist? It's what you want, right? It's where you want to go. If someone needs to use the bathroom, nope, I'm in charge of when we're stopping. When someone wants to eat at McDonald's, nope, I'm picking Chick-fil-A. You decide everything because your desires are the most important in the room. Your desires are the most important for the apartment. Your desires are the most important for the marriage. Your desires are the most important for the company. Your desires are, most, are the most important for the department. Your desire is what you want. It's what you want. I'm not getting what I want. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about my. I want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my, me, 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 my. I like talking about you, 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 usually. But occasionally, I want to talk about me. You guys ever heard that song? Y'all are like, this is crazy. Is he possessed? No. It's an old country song. It's an old country song. It's all about me. That's what pride says. It's me. I want to talk about me. But Philippians 2 says, consider others better than yourself. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I didn't come to demand my own preferences. I came to wash feet. So the moment that I come to church and I go, they're not doing the songs I like. These seats are too comfortable. <laughs> the lights are too dark. It's too bright. I'm angry about my preferences not being met. We got to reverse this because pride always demands its own preferences above everyone else. And, and, and then humility comes in and says, hold on. It's not about me. 
It's not about me. It's not about me. Number four, pride. Pride. How do I know if I've got pride? I always think the other person needs to apologize or change. It's not my job to apologize. It's their job to apologize. I'm not saying I'm sorry until he says he's sorry. I'm not saying I was wrong until he admits how wrong he was. And if I do say I'm sorry, I'm saying I'm sorry, but he should have done things differently. Right? You always think it's the other person that needs to apologize. Number five, how do you know if you've got pride? You tend to be negative. I tend to be negative and critical instead of positive and grateful. So listen, a complaining spirit is what robbed the Israelites from the promised land for their generation. Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, gets them to the wilderness. They're only supposed to be there for nine months or less. Then they're going to possess the promised land. But while they're there, the bread is not warm enough. The fish don't taste that great after the second or third day. I'd rather have a filet mignon. There's not, it's, it's the, the conditions aren't right. If you walk into places and you always notice what's wrong, people are wrong. Now, you know, I was on a mission trip last week. We were in Brazil and we were getting on the airplane and there were some things that weren't right. And I was like, man, okay, it's all right. It's okay. It's all good. And I was trying to pet myself up, like, don't make a big deal about it. Don't be a petty person. But, you know, just things weren't working. <laughs> and, 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 it was, and it was starting to stir me. And I could tell other customers were getting upset. They start demanding to people, like, we, this should be working. This isn't working. We've been delayed six times now. And, and this isn't working. We're, we're going to be late. And they're angry. And they're just yelling at people. And I realized our society is trained to give constant criticism. We are constantly, I'm leaving a review on Southwest, and I'm leaving a review on this restaurant, and I'm leaving a review over here, and I'm angry about this, and it was 50% okay, it was 40, and it's constant, constant complaining about things. The language of humility is gratefulness. If I was, when we were in Brazil, they spoke Portuguese. I tried to talk to them, I was like, oi to the bang, and they were like talking back, and I didn't know anything else. I was like, hola. Mi nombre es Paul Darty from Victoria. You know, and they're like, just stop, just stop. It's embarrassing. I was like, I'm sorry. They're like, you don't know the language. You don't know the language. If I was to come into the country of humility and go, I demand better service. The pastor didn't shake my hand. He forgot my kids' names and my dog's names. He didn't do what I wanted. And I'm angry at how long it took you to bring my chicken out here at Cheddar's restaurant. And I'm frustrated that I had to sit in traffic. The country of humility would be like, hold on, we, we don't know what you're saying. We, your language, we don't understand that. And you go, well, how do I learn the language? They go, it sounds like this. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. I'm just grateful to be alive. I'm grateful that God has rescued me from my sin. I'm grateful that I still have family. I'm grateful that I've got a church. I'm grateful that there's breath in my lungs. Now you're speaking the language of humility. But pride is constantly critical and negative. And what it does is it alienates you from people. Because soon enough, people go, man, we can never please this guy. He's just, he's impossible to please. So we're just going to distance ourselves because our tanks are empty every time we're around him. He's always unhappy with everything. So we're just going to let him, we're going to let Scrooge sit by himself. But the second Scrooge gets set free from his Scroogeness. The world becomes beautiful. 
It's a wonderful life when you live with gratitude. It's a miserable life when you're complaining all the time. Here's the last point. I'm gonna, I'm gonna speed this up. I can tell it's really touching some, some, some feelings here. Number six, how do I know if I've got pride? You keep thinking of other people who need to hear this. <laughs> You're like, I am so glad so-and-so is here today. I am sending this message right now to my friends. Got them. <laughs> hey, listen, this message is for me, y'all. I need this message because if I think I don't struggle with pride, but Ashley does, I've got pride. If I think I don't struggle with pride, but they do, that's pride. Obadiah 1 verse 3. This is a book in the Bible. If you've never heard of Obadiah, you're like, I don't think that's in the Bible. It is. Obadiah 1 verse 3. This is the, the scripture. It says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Pride is deceiving because you can look at other people and go, they are prideful. What an arrogant, cocky little kid. <laughs> and Obadiah says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the high places and say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? If I think that God has blessed me with the pride radar and I walk around, I'm like, I just know who the prideful people are in the room. He's prideful. He's prideful. He's, she's really prideful over there. What about you? No, not me. I'm the humblest person I know. I don't struggle with pride. <laughs> the fact that we think we know who's prideful and who's humble, that in itself is a spirit of pride. Because humility can be fake sometimes. There is false humility. This is why we've got to be careful that we don't place ourselves as the judge of humanity. But we look inside first and go, Lord, deal with me. Deal with me. So let's talk about how do we break pride. How do we break pride? I want to give you just a few ways before we end today. How do I break pride? Number one, live with a thankful heart. Sounds super simple, but for some reason, we forget to do this each day. Every day, wake up and count 10 things to be thankful for. Just hold up your hands and, sit and, and use your Use, use both hands. I've got weird thumbs. My thumbs are double jointed. They do all kinds of weird, cool stuff. But use your hands and just begin to count. I'm thankful for this. I got to be careful how I move these fingers here. <laughs> we don't want to have one of those moments we had a couple weeks ago with my brother. <laughs> I'm thankful for my wife. Lord, I'm so thankful for Ashley. I'm blessed with a great wife. I'm thankful for my children, Liam, Benny, Mac, Ellie, Gianna. I'm thankful for my dogs. I didn't pick our dogs. Ashley picked them, but I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for hands. Hey, who gave you those hands you have? Who gave you these legs, these arms, the breath in your lungs? Who did it all come from? God. And the more that I stop taking credit for every good thing in my life and start giving glory to God and thanks to God, the less prideful I am. How do I kill pride? I start giving more thanks to God on a daily basis. Anytime someone gives me a, a praise report or an encouragement, internally I'm just going, God, thank you. Thank you for the voice that you've given me. Lord, thank you for the chance to minister to that person. God, thank you that, 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 that something I said touched that person's heart in Buffalo Wild Wings this morning. God, 
God, thank you for, for just giving me the chance because I don't deserve any of this. I deserve hell. But Jesus gave his life for me. He paid the price for me. I don't deserve the blessings God's given me. It is sheer grace that has given me any good thing in this life. But once I start taking credit, I stop believing the gospel. The gospel says, it's not me that got me here. Pride says, I'm a self-made man. I'm a DIY successful person. I did it all by myself. And the longer we believe that, the more we end up like Nebuchadnezzar. We lose our minds because pride leads to destruction. But humility brings honor. I want the keys to come out. All right, the keys are out. <laughs> I didn't know they were back there. They were like, he needs help right now. <laughs> we're going to keep it real at victory. All right. Can we just take 10 seconds to give thanks to God? Just close your eyes. Just thank God for the good things in your life. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. God, thank you. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for everything in my life. I'm thankful for an amazing mom. I'm thankful grand grand's still here. I'm thankful for our, our children. I'm thankful for clothes on. I'm thankful for shoes. I'm thankful for our church. I'm thankful for the school. I'm thankful for Victory College. I'm thankful for the Dream Center, for the camp. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you still come to Victory. You could go to any church in the city, but you come here, and I'm just thankful you showed up today. Thank you for coming. I'm honored. Whether you're on the back row or the front row or you're watching online, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for life. Thank you that we live in America. See, once we start becoming thankful, we stop becoming so entitled. I'd rather be embarrassingly grateful than snobbishly entitled. I'd rather be known for saying thank you like Chick-fil-A is known for saying my pleasure than be known as the review guy. I'm going to leave reviews everywhere I go. I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Number two, how do I break pride? Shift the focus off you. Live to serve. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. Find a need and fill it. See a need and meet it. Help people along the way. Prefer others over yourself. You say, well, where's that in scripture? All throughout the Bible. This was Jesus's message. I came to serve. Follow this example. Washing feet helping people, ministering to the broken, preferring others over himself. There was a moment in John chapter three where Jesus was ministering on the other side of the Jordan River. and He was starting his ministry. And John the Baptist was on one side of the river and he had been the most popular preacher in that area of, of the Jordan River for, for the last couple of years. He had been preaching a message of repentance and the world was flocking to hear his message. Well, in John chapter three, something starts to shift. And people start leaving his church service to go hear this other preacher. Now, <laughs> last night I was preaching and there was a moment in the middle of the service where 25 people got up and walked out. And I was like, man, did I offend them? Was it something I said? And I was so, like, I was taking it personal, pride. <laughs> like I, I didn't think they were using the bathroom or going to the hospital or ministering to someone out there. Turns out after service, they were our group leaders going to set up the tables for all the group. They were like, bro. What is wrong with you? I was like, I'm sorry, I'm just insecure. I just need help, pray for me. 
But if all y'all got up and walked out to go listen to Mike Todd or Craig Rochelle or some other preacher, that, that's what happened to John Baptist. He's preaching and they all leave to cross the street and go, we're gonna go hear this other preacher. And there was a couple of loyal people to John the Baptist and they go, don't you care that you have lost your whole congregation to Jesus? And John says in John 3 verse 30, he says, this is good. He must increase, I must decrease. He must become greater. I must become less. It's not about me. It was never about me. It's about him and them. It's about him and them. It's about God and people. It's about the Lord and his people. Once we make it about us, we miss the point of Christianity. It's not about us. Yes, he came to save us, but the spotlight was never meant to be all on us. We're supposed to shine it on helping people loving God and loving others. I remember when I was in high school, I really wanted to be on the stage leading worship for our youth band. We had like the best youth band in the city. Sean O'Nan, Ruthie Sanders, my sister, Adam Hoke, Matthias, Raul Mastrapa, Sam Alexander. I still remember the whole band. They were like, they were like the Avengers. I wanted to join the band. So there was auditions, I try out. I'm like, here I am to worship. I'm not on the right key. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that. And my sister was like, that's good. I was like, you don't want to hear the whole song? She was like, nope, that's good. And I was like, she was sitting behind the table like American Idol, the voice, like auditions. I was like, you don't want to hear my whole song? She was like, no, we're good. I was like, okay. So then they post who made the tryouts after the tryouts on the paper. I'm looking through the names. And I was like, hey guys, there's a mistake. And my sister goes, what mistake? I said, my name's not on the list. She goes, you didn't make the team. I said, you're cutting me from the team? She said, you were never on the team. How could I cut you if you weren't on the team? I said, you're rejecting your brother? And she was like, no, Paul, you're just not good enough. I'm not good enough? I'm calling dad right now, because he was the pastor. So I called my dad, I was like, dad, you need to fire Ruthie. He was like, really, I'm gonna call Ruthie right now. I said, no, 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 don't call her. So I start talking bad about Ruthie. He goes, I'm calling her to tell her what you said. No, 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 don't do that. He would not put up with slander, gossip, anything like that. He's like, don't say anything to me if the person's not here. So I was like, okay, you trapped me, what do I say? He's like, just tell me what happened. I said, well, I was rejected. He starts laughing. I was like, why are you laughing? He's like, Paul, you weren't rejected. You just didn't make the team. I was like, it's not funny. And he goes, you'll get another chance. I said, yeah, but not for another three months. And he said, it's good for you to feel this disappointment. I was like, what? He said, it's okay. It's good for you to feel rejected. I was like, you need to feel rejected. And he was like, Paul, you've been dealing with pride lately. I can see it. And I was like, you've been dealing with pride. You know, I was just getting angry at my dad. And he was like, no, Paul, you need to humble yourself. And I just didn't want to go inside the house that night. I sat in the car. I was 17 years old. I was stubborn. I knew what was right. My dad was wrong. I was right. Finally, I came in the house because I needed to sleep. <laughs> Whose house was that? It was my dad's house. <laughs> Sometimes we are so ridiculous. When we are prideful, we forget all the stuff. And so the second time tryouts came around, I got up on stage, and I was like, hey, Ruthie. And she was like, yeah, I was like, I love you. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, you ready for my song? She was like, sure. So I sing it. And I said, one more thing. I've been working on my humility, because I know dad talked to you. I was like, I feel like I'm the humblest guy I know now. I'm more humble than all these other people trying out. 
And I was like, I just think you need my humility on this stage because it's going to shine really well. She's like, you're ridiculous. I may not have said it like that, but I remember just being so dumb. And so anyways, she, you know, posts the picture. I, I don't make the team again. I'm like, what? Four times in a year between age 17 and 18, I tried out, never made it. And finally, after the fourth time of not making it, she said, Paul, you want this stage, but the truth is you need to fill in the gaps wherever the need is. She said, the youth group needs more ushers. We need bus captains. And I was like, yeah, but I really want to shine on the stage. She was like, the fact that you want that means you're not ready for it. And so I said, okay, well, yeah, I can serve as an usher. I can serve as a uh, greeter, as a bus captain. And I was like, and then maybe after a month, put me on the stage. She was like, no. She was like, just serve. Where there's a need, just serve. She said, also, Children's Church, Brian Bias, 9 a.m. service. He needs your help. He needs a guitar player. Over at the Maybe Center, there was only like 15 kids there. It was the smallest gig in the church. And I was like, I need a bigger gig. And she was like, you're ridiculous. I just thought I was Elvis. I was like, I'm a rock star, you know. And <laughs> she was like, go and serve Brian. So I did. I started serving Brian, started serving as a bus captain. We would go to Skyatook every single week. And I would pick teenagers up from Skyatook High School. And we would pick them up on the bus. And I remember just serving those teenagers, falling in love with being a bus captain for our youth group. Then, then I served as an usher, as a greeter. Just loved that for a couple years, just served in the youth group. Then the children's church for the next 18 months, just leading worship. Kids would throw Starburst and Skittles in my guitar hole. I never got it out. It was just rolling around in my, my guitar. And I would lead a connect group for those kids. And today those kids are adults in our church. Those kids have grown up. That was 20 years ago. I'm 37 now. That was when I was 17 or 18. And now they're grown up. And they're, some of them have kids in our school, at Victor Christian School. And they say, I still remember you leading a connect group for me when I was eight years old. What you sow in this season, I'm telling you, God has a harvest. It might not come until 15, 20 years later. But don't you stop serving. Don't you stop helping people. But what God was doing was he was pulling pride out. He was pulling out this need to be seen, this need to feel important, this need to be impressive in the eyes of man. And he was teaching me just to be there, just to serve, just to be a part of what he was doing. It's an honor to serve. God would use songs that I wrote during that time in children's church later on to be recorded for our church. And I remember singing some of those songs in front of our whole church and ministering years later and serving. But what God was doing in that season was preparation for the next. You never waste time serving. By the way, when we get to heaven, just 10 days ago, our friend Debbie Wilson stepped into eternity. Ted and Debbie's flowers. And uh, Debbie stepped into eternity. When she walked into heaven, I bet St. Peter was at the pearly gates saying, welcome, Debbie. And then she saw God. And God sitting on the throne, and he did not say, well done, thou good and faithful florist. He didn't say, well done, thou good and faithful mom. He didn't say, well done, thou good and faithful wife. He's not going to say, well done, thou good and faithful pastor or CEO or CFO or president of the, the, the such and such club. He's not going to talk about your titles or the things you think are the most impressive. He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You served. You served. And that's the greatest title we will ever get in eternity is servant. Jesus said it takes humility to serve. Pride wants to be served, but humility serves. Number three. How do I break pride? I'm the first to apologize. I, I make the decision, I wanna be the first one to change. 
If I'm demanding my spouse to change and demanding them to apologize, just something that I have to preach to myself all the time is I need to be the first one to the cross. I need to be the first one to the cross. First one to the cross wins. We need to stop trying to win an argument and start trying to just win in humility. Humility says, I need to deal with myself first. Before I demand someone else to apologize, I'm going to look in the mirror and go, there's some areas that I, I need to grow in. I need to own these things. And number four, final point right here, we need to repent to God from our pride. We need to ask God to forgive us of pride in our hearts. Now, repentance is not meant to be a bad word or a word for unbelievers. Repentance is a gift even for believers. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins to God as believers, He is faithful and just to forgive us. But if we say we have no sin, then we are actually not being honest with God. Because the reality is, we've all missed it. We've all fallen short. But if we say, Lord... Help me to grow in this area. Lord, help me. God, I repent of sin. And then God, help me to change in these areas. Paul the apostle said, I am a debtor to the Jews and to the Greeks. He looked at his audience. He said, you don't owe me anything. None of you owe me anything. I owe you everything. Because the grace of God has reached a wretch like me and has saved my life. So from this day forward, I'm living from a place of humility. I want to serve. I want us to stand to our feet all over this place. I think God wants to break off pride. God wants to bring us back to a place of humility, back to a place of surrender, saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I surrender to you. This is groups weekend. One of the best ways to break pride is to say, I can't do this on my own. I'm going to invite a group of people into my life. I'm going to join a connect group. I'm going to invite counsel into my life. I've done this many times throughout seasons in my life. And not a season has gone by where I've not needed a group. Sometimes I stay with a group for years. Then other times I've switched and connected with other groups and, and joined other groups, prayer groups, men's groups, groups that just help me as a husband, as a dad, mentors that are, are basically a group for me and Ashley that, to meet with. And, and, and humility says, I need your help. I'm asking you to pray for me. I'm asking you to strengthen me, speak life into me, give me counsel, tell me where I've missed it, show me how to do things better. If we can just come before God right now with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. God does not reject a humble spirit. Jesus said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be lifted up in due time. Maybe you feel like you're walking through a humiliating situation. God says, embrace this humbling moment. It's leading towards your elevation. It's leading towards your rise. It's leading towards what God's about to do in the next season. If you will embrace humility and say, Lord, I need you. God, I repent. Lord, I surrender to you. God, I want your will, your way, not my will. All over this room, as we're checking our hearts today, if you're here today and you just say, I need to get things right with God. I need to repent of some pride in my life. I need to allow the Lord to, to bring just a, a, to clothe me in humility, to clothe me in that genuine desire to be completely 
utterly surrendered to his love, to his will, to the way that he sees things. I'm laying down my feelings, my rights on certain things, and I'm saying, God, have your way. If that's you, just raise your hand all over this room. You're saying, man, this message was for me. There is some areas that I need to deal with. There is some pride that I need to get rid of. There is some humility that I need God to, to, to just work in me, to change areas in my mind and heart. If you raised your hand or you wanted to raise your hand, just leave your seat. Just make a step of humility today. Come and join me at the altar to say, Lord, I surrender. God, you might want to come down with your family. You might want to come down with your roommate, with your friend, or just come all by yourself. If you, if you don't have someone to come with, just come by yourself. You're not alone down here. God's doing a fresh work. He's saying, I am for you. I am with you. You are not alone. You are not rejected. You are not despised. God sees you. He's not finished with your story. Maybe you're here today and you say, Paul, I just need prayer. I need a breakthrough. I need healing. I need God to do a miracle in my life. Come and join us today. I want to pray for anyone here today that just needs prayer. You just need prayer. Come and join us today. We're just going to worship. Go ahead, Lamar. Lead us in that song. Let's just lift our hands and our hearts to God. It's all, about it's all about you, Lord Jesus. It's all it's about all you. About it's not about me, God.
We all need his love. We all need his help. So God, I repent, Lord, of pride in my own heart. I ask you, Lord, for your forgiveness. 
God, I ask you, Lord, to change me from the inside out where I have demanded anything from a spirit of pride or entitlement. God, I pray that you remove that from my mind and heart. Lord, I pray that you created me a clean heart, a broken spirit. God, just broken to your will. God, just surrendered to you. God, that you would just break off stubbornness, break off this I'm right, they're wrong mentality. God, that I would stand on your word. Lord, that you're right. Your word is true. Your word is right. You are the righteous one, God. So, Lord, I lean not to my own understanding. God, I acknowledge you are Lord. You are God. I am not. God, we surrender your will, not our will. Just talk to God. Just tell him what you're surrendering today. Just ask him just to change areas in your own heart where maybe there's been pride or selfishness or insecurity or fear. Maybe you're here today and you just need a breakthrough, a miracle. Just begin to ask God for his help today. The Bible says that he's a good father and that when we ask for his help in prayer, that he is willing and ready and able, more than able, to meet and answer those prayers. So God, we come to you with humility in our hearts. God, we acknowledge how good you are, how great you are. We're thankful. Just say this with me. Jesus, I look to you. My trust is in you. My hope is in you. I lean on your word, not my own understanding. I repent of pride and I receive your forgiveness. You died on the cross for my sins. You rose from the grave. You are my victory. You are my Lord and I'm all yours. Thank you, Jesus, that what you've started in me you will be faithful to continue. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.